Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It says there, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Uh, I don't know who all here has been or has had interest in car racing, drag racing, street racing, right? but just envision this with me, okay? Envision a lineup of cars about to start a car race, right? You can, you can imagine what those cars would probably look like, you know, with the neon lights, shining rims, so on and so forth, all the bells and whistles. Now, let's say you go through that lineup, and you have one car that's very distinct from the rest. This car doesn't look flashy. As a matter of fact, it's less than impressive. It looks like a, like, a, like a junk car. I mean, it's got dents everywhere. It needs a total paint job. And let's say you look to see who that driver is. And I saw Josh this morning. He's, he's back from, from England. Let's, let's say that you see Josh and that Josh Conway. We all love Josh Conway, right? Who, who here does not love and appreciate Josh Conway? If you don't know him, then, then, you, then you will love him when you meet him. But we love and appreciate Josh. So let's say he's there in that sport or in, the, in that car. It's a, it's a sports drag race, and he's there. And then, as as a friend, as a brother, you approach him and you say, "Hey, what are you doing? <laughs> are, are you in the right place? I, I I don't think this is for you. I think you're out of line. I think this is not the place for you at this time." And you try to explain, and he says, "Well, I'm I'm in I'm in the race." And he's confident, and he's bold, and he's ready to take on this race. You're going to feel a little bit of nervousness, a little bit of fear for him, a, a little bit of shame, right? Out, out of concern for him, right? Loving him. But he has confidence. Now, is there any reason, because there's one or two things that's going on here. Either he's delusional he, he has no idea, or maybe, maybe he just doesn't care. He's just going to have fun. Or maybe there's another option here. Maybe there's something that we don't know that's going on. Let's say, hypothetically, that you're able to pop open the hood, and within that car, you see, again, hypothetically, double the amount of horsepower. So there is something in this equation that can drastically change our Reaction, right? Power. Horse power. In Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 7, we have upheld by Paul something that should drastically change our reaction to the gospel, and it is power. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 gives us the thesis. Paul is giving us the thesis for this massive, weighty book 
of Romans. The rest of the book of Romans is an expansion and further explanation of this book. So let's start in verse 16. And you see there in the beginning in the ESV, the word for. We've talked about before in this pulpit, and I've even mentioned, why is the for therefore? Look back verses 13 to 15. To summarize, Paul says, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Okay, so just, just to give uh, basically what, what is going on in verses 13 through 15, the reason, he, Paul is giving the reason as to why he had not been able to go to Rome. And he wants to make it clear to the Romans that it was because of physical circumstances that hindered him from going. And it was not at all due to any fault, any shortcoming in the gospel. He wants to make it clear to them that he was not ashamed. So I have six points for the message today. And we'll go through them as, as they come along. So the, my first point here, the Christian's disposition toward the gospel. You see there, for I am not ashamed. The Christian's disposition toward the gospel is that we as Christians are not ashamed. Now notice what I said there. I said the disposition of the Christian, right? This is not the disposition of the world. To the natural world, those who are not born again, those who see with the natural eye, this gospel actually appears weak. It appears worthless. It appears foolish. It appears shameful. Does it not? Listen to Rome, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. It's, Paul says here, for the word of the cross, the gospel, is Folly, foolish to those specifically who are perishing, but to us, the Christians who are being saved, it is what? The power of God. We get ashamed. We get tempted to be ashamed about things that appear weak, right? Who gets tempted to be ashamed about things that are great, that are mighty, that are powerful, Anybody here get tempted to be ashamed? Again, the junk-looking car, if you just see the exterior, if you didn't pop the hood, it would appear weak. It would appear foolish. It would appear shameful. But when you perceive, when you recognize the power, the horsepower, all of that changes in an instant, right? The shame vanishes completely away. You go from being timid, hesitant, fearful, afraid, ashamed, to eager, confident, bold, and unapologetically unashamed. And when this disposition controls a Christian by the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel will be preached boldly and confidently, even despite persecutions or anything else that comes the Christian's way. Let's listen to Acts chapter 4, verse 29. You can jot it down if you want. It says there, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servant, servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. This is the prayer that they are asking of the Lord. Listen what it says in chapter 5. 
these same people, they were not only threatened, like it says in chapter 4, they were now beaten. Look at what it says. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Listen to 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. You see that despite the circumstance, despite the persecution, despite the hardship that came their way, they were not ashamed of the gospel. But let's ask the question here. Let's pause. Why? Why be unashamed? What is the reason? The reason that the apostles were so fearless. What is the reason that Paul can say so boldly and confidently here that he is not ashamed? Why? It's because of what we see continuing this. Because of what we see right after this. And it's because he was convinced, Paul was convinced, that the gospel that he was proclaiming was full of power. What kind of power? Whose power? Is it man's power? This is my second point. Whose power is unleashed? Man-engineered power like we see in the sports car with tons of horsepower? Is that what we're seeing in Romans chapter 1, verse 16? It's God's power. God's power is what we see unleashed. And so I have two questions that I want to permeate throughout this message today. Okay? Do you depend, and I should have said this in the beginning, do you depend, do you rest upon the power of man or upon the power of God? Because as you sit here today, you are either trusting in the power of God unto salvation or the power of man unto damnation. Those are the options here as as you sit here today. Whose power is the power of almighty God that we're dealing with today? Now, what is it? Let's step back and think. What is it about power that gives us such confidence What is it about power that can change your perspective from being timid to being so bold and confident and unashamed? What is it about power? Well, power has the ability to produce something, to move something, to change something that otherwise could not and would not be moved, changed, or produced. We are talking this morning, Paul mentions here in Romans chapter 1, about the power of God unto salvation. And praise God, we're not talking about this morning the power of man unto salvation. Praise God that our text here does not say the power of man unto salvation. Why? Because men, us, all of mankind combined, we don't have any power to change or do anything in the spiritual realm in and of ourselves. What did Jesus say in John 15? He said, without me, you can do nothing, nothing. We do not have the power to change anything in the spiritual realm, to do anything, to move, to produce anything, to save, do anything in the spiritual realm, nothing. But We don't have it, but we know the God who does. 
We can lay hold of the God who does. Listen to Jeremiah 13, 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then you also can do good who are accustomed to do evil. Can you change the leopard's spots? Can you change the physical realm in this way? No, no, you can't. Well, much less can you do anything in the spiritual realm. We can lay hold, though, of the God who does. So let, let's consider the power of God. We talked about the power and how it can influence and change. But let's talk more specifically about the power of God. We see the evidence of the power of God through creation. This is one example that testifies of the power of God. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Just look a little down. It says there, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what could be made known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. You see that? Through creation, we can perceive, we can testify to the eternal power of God. So creation is one evidence that testifies about the power of God. One more scripture about this, just one more, because it's literally from Genesis to Revelation, God shows us his eternal power through creation. Jeremiah 27, 5. It is I who by my great power in my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and animals that are in them. You got the earth, you got the sea, all the, all the, all the animals in the sea, the skies, the birds. We got the macroscopic, we got the microscopic and everything in between. And God is showing us, this is my power. Not, not only that, think about this, not only that, if he were just to sleep, hypothetically, he can't sleep, but if he were to just sleep and let go of it, everything would collapse. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Here's another way. Another way that power is displayed, it's through miracles. We pray this morning for a miracle, a physical miracle for our brother Kevin. Miracles. Think about miracles. In, in the ESV, in the English, the word miracle is dunamis. Sounds like dynamite, right? Okay, let me give you an example of, of this word. Matthew seven twenty two. Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? That's the word powers, dunamis. Okay, so think about the earthly ministry of our Lord. Jesus demonstrated, think about this, he demonstrated through miracles the power of God. He casted out demons. He raised the dead. He gave sight to the blind. He turned water to wine. He fed multitudes with five loaves and two fish. He stopped the winds and the waves with the word. He walked on water. He healed lepers, paralytics, mute, crippled. He did all of that. And let's not forget that three days after his death, he himself resurrected. That's power. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, listen to this. Paul says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. He wants them to know something. He says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? He wants them to know the immeasurable, incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's power. His power is so great in creating the universe and sustaining the universe in the miracles he performed in Christ resurrecting from the grave. But as great as all of that is, as great and as marvelous we can, we can compare these things that God has done, that God does. We can't, it's immeasurable. And yet, despite all of that, we are not talking this morning about the power of God unto creation. We're not talking this morning about the power of God unto physical miracles. We are talking this morning about the power of God unto salvation. And so, when we think about the miracles, we think about creation, we think about all the things that God is doing or has done, all of it was meant, it, all of it is ex- the exact purpose and central purpose is to point us to the power of God in salvation. His creation and his miracles is all pointing us to that reality. All other demonstrations of the power of God pales in comparison when we consider his power to save sinners. You want to see uh, the peak of the demonstration of the power of God? Look into a sinner's life. Maybe you can find one here who went from darkness to light, from death to life. Look and behold the power of God. And you'll see there the peak of his power. Now, That right there should be shocking. And I'll tell you why. Considering God having his peak and saving a sinner, that should be shocking. Why? Because if you could hypothetically, we're using a lot of hypotheticals. I guess maybe I didn't think of that. A lot of hypotheticals. That's okay, right? Let's, let's think, yeah, let's, let's think hypothetically. If you were to witness, and this is a big hypothetical, (laughs) if you were to witness God's creative power in the very beginning you would not believe you would not consider that there could be anything greater than that or how about witnessing Lazarus resurrecting after four days you would say there surely that's not there there can't be anything greater than that Psalm 106 verse 8 talking about the Israelites It says there, yet he saved them for his namesake that he might make known his mighty power. Okay, the miracles that he worked with the Israelites, all of that, all of the examples that we see there and and God saving them out of Egypt, again, was meant and designed to point us to the ultimate salvation Like the verse says in Psalm 106, to make known his mighty power. That's the purpose for it. Now, many people deny the power of God into salvation by minimizing what actually takes place in salvation. And a lot of their message is essentially this. 
your life is going pretty decent. You're a pretty good guy. You, you're, you're on the right track. Just add some Jesus into your life. Add, add him into your life. And sprinkle in some good behavior morals, right? Some principles. Well, how does 2 Corinthians 5.17 go? If any man be in Christ, he's a better person with better morals, uh, uh, maybe some behavior modification and speaking some Christianese. Is that how it goes? How does 2 Corinthians 5.17 go? If any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature, a new creation. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4.6. For God who said... Let light shine out of darkness has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is comparing, Paul is comparing here, the creation of the universe with the recreation of the sinner. And understanding that reality right there, understanding what God does in salvation flies in the face of this cheap grace. That salvation is basically a mere decision that a sinner makes to change over a new leaf or maybe make some better decisions in their life. That essentially salvation boils down to the sinner's decision. But my friends, what what would that be a demonstration of power? That would be power, but the power of man, (laughs) which is powerless. That's a demonstration of the power of man. So again, let me ask this question. Do we depend this morning on the power of God or on the power of man? Now, if the gospel was the power of man unto salvation, then let me tell you, that would be a very, very, very good reason for Paul to be ashamed. It would be a very good reason for all of us in this room to be ashamed. But Paul is not ashamed because the power of God is in the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And it was the creative power of God who spoke light into darkness. There was a void and God spoke into the void. But check this out. In our hearts, in the sinner's hearts, there wasn't merely a void, like saying we can, choose, uh, we can choose darkness or light. We can just go this way or that, and we're kind of neutral. No, it, it's not just a void. There is something deeper than that. Our hearts were actually antagonistic to the gospel. Antagonistic. We hated God. Romans chapter 8 says that we were hostile to God. We were enemies of God. People don't like to hear that. People that I grew up with, that makes them uncomfortable. But this is the truth that we see in Scripture. Every single one of us had hearts hardened to God, wanting to dethrone God and place ourselves on that throne. We all went astray. We all went our own way. There wasn't just merely a void that needed to be filled, and that was it. Everything in us was going the opposite way. And left up to us, we would have continued on that path. We would have never turned to him, ever, 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 but the power of God. We were dead and unable to give ourselves life, but he spoke life into our dead, dry bones. 
into the dead state that we were in. That is the power of God. And it could not be any other power. And therefore, Paul says, I am not ashamed. Now, here's a question for us to consider. Could Christians be tempted and even give in to the temptation of becoming ashamed? Peter did, right? Not, not just during the time of the crucifixion or before, but even after. So let's think about this. Going back to the junk-looking car, people who see the car, they're going to be ashamed if they only see the exterior, especially if you're a friend of Josh. You're going to feel shame for him. But if you don't know what's in it, that's all you're going to feel. And if you are consumed with the fear of man and what men think about the car, then you're going to forget about what's under the hood, But listen, what's under the hood is going to be under the hood whether the world recognizes it or not. It's there. The power is there. And the world is going to laugh. They're going to mock. They're going to say that is weak. That is useless. But let them mock. Let them tease. Let them laugh. We know what's under the hood. We know that though it is veiled to them and they cannot see it, there is power. There is power, power, wonder-working power. That's why Christians sing that song and many others with such confidence because we feel, we see, we've experienced the reality of the power. So remind yourself of that power. Remind yourself of the power. We all get tempted. We all get filled with doubts. Going downtown, preaching, doing whatever, even even just in our day-to-day, we can get filled and bombarded with different thoughts. Remind yourself of the power that you've experienced for yourself and that you've seen in others of the power of God. People who are ultimately ashamed, I'm not talking about Peter or any one of us for a moment that we get ashamed People who are ultimately ashamed of the gospel, they don't understand the power of God. And it's because they themselves have never experienced the power of God into salvation. And those who are ashamed are the ones who compromise and tamper with the gospel. And the gospel is not something that you or I want to tamper or play or compromise with. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Do we depend, do we rest on the power of God unto salvation or the power of man? Now, third point, what unleashes this power? The gospel. The gospel is the power. Therefore, you and I, all of us here, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you've experienced the power of God into salvation or not, you need to understand the gospel. Eon Helion, good tidings, good news. It's the good news that is centered, completely focused on the person and the work of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he accomplished for mankind to save us from our ultimate problems, which is sin and death. Jesus, the Son of God, the sinless Son of God, he proved that he was God in the flesh. He proved that he defeated death and paid sin's debt by resurrecting after three 
days and knowing and beholding this message, proclaiming this message, not suggesting it, not offering it up as, as though it's an option for you to consider out of many. That's not what we're doing. When we proclaim this message, that is what unleashes the power of God unto salvation. Do not forget that the power of God is in the message. Don't believe for a moment that we can add power. Maybe with our smooth talks and arguments. Maybe with the right kind of apologetics. Maybe focusing so much on proving your point and proving the unbeliever to be wrong. Doing all these things instead of proclaiming and focusing on preaching the gospel. When you do that, when you're so focused on proving the person wrong, you can do something that Paul warns about. The cross of Christ being emptied of its power. Because that message, when you rely on that, on on proving and, and doing all this, that is a confidence in the power of man. Not in the power of God. Just listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You see, I'm not just saying that. Paul said it. The next chapter, chapter 2, listen to this. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I did not know n- nothing for... For I, decide, excuse me, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. You see the distinction there. Wisdom of man. Are you resting there? That's the power of man. Or are you resting in the power of God? Do you rest? Do you place your confidence in the power of God unto salvation or the power of man unto damnation? Those are your options. Your charisma, that's not the power of God unto salvation. Your eloquent words, persuasiveness, Smooth talk, flattery, lofty speech, wisdom, apologetics. That's not the power of God unto salvation. Smiles, hugs, being relevant. That's not the power of God unto salvation. Health, wealth, prosperity, happiness. That's not the power of God unto salvation. Doing different type of social justice work. That's not the power of God unto salvation. Preaching pro-life at the abortion clinics, that's not the power of God unto salvation. Listen, Catholics do that. Mormons do that, right? What about social reforms? That's not the power of God unto salvation. Multitudes of people are involved with that. Social justice, race equality, that's not the power of God unto salvation. What about maybe right-wing, conservative, Republican policies and politics, That's not the power of God unto salvation. Listen, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Now, I listed a lot of things there. I just, I just want to clarify. 
I am not saying that an individual Christian could not and should not be involved in any of the things that I listed. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that the church has been commissioned by God to preach the gospel, for that is what unleashes the power of God unto salvation. Just listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That is the message that God is commissioning us with as ambassadors. It all goes back to this question again. Is your reliance on the power of man or the power of God? While his power does appear to the majority weaker, uglier than any junk-looking car you could imagine, it is in all actuality greater, mightier, more powerful than any, not, not just any car, anything you could ever imagine. And so, fourth point. Who is this power unleashed to? We consider the Christian's disposition. We consider the power, how the power is unleashed. And now who is it unleashed to? You ready for this? The text says they're everyone. Who is it unleashed to? To everyone who believes. But let's first consider the word everyone. This should jump out at us. This may not be considered special in this day and age. We've gotten so used and accustomed to the universal call of God. But we need to rejoice when we hear this word, everyone. Because before Jesus, everyone other than the Jews were basically, by and large, in total darkness. They were ignorant of the truth of God. Just listen to Ephesians chapter 2. There's more that testified to this, but just listen to, to verses 11 and 13, 12 and 13. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, which is everybody but every other group of p- people besides the Jews, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The gospel call is universal and there is no people group. There's not even any person, any individual person who is excluded from this call. There is no one, neither Jew or Greek, black or white, young, old, no one, no one, no one who's excluded. Whoever believes, anyone who believes, everyone who believes will experience the power of God unto salvation. Well, the next part, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I, I just hear this and, and my, my thoughts go to, let's say, my, my children. My children will say, oh, why is, that, why is he first? Why is she first? Mine, me, my first, now, mine. That could be our thoughts. <laughs> well, just listen to Acts chapter 13, verse 45. Listen how first century responded to this. They didn't respond like that. But when the Jews saw the crowds, 
They were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. He's talking there about the Jews. First to the Jews. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Listen to verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard these, they they had a pity party and said, why were they first and we were second? No. They began rejoicing and glorifying the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. They were not upset. They were not bent out of shape because they were preached to last. They rejoiced. They glorified God because they were preached to at all. Everyone, everyone, everyone who believes. Do you trust in this gospel, the power of man, who offers this precious good news, great good tidings to mankind or the power of man. Well, my fifth point, how is the power unleashed? What is the means by which this power is unleashed? Well, it's through believing, it says. It's faith. It's through trust, faith, reliance, putting all your confidence in what? In the gospel, which is what? What God has accomplished through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the object. Listen, it's not faith in your faith. Faith in your faith, it would be power. And again, it would be the power of man. It would be powerless. You want the power of man unto salvation? Place your faith in your faith. Your faith in and of itself isn't the power of of God into salvation, but it is the channel. It is the instrument that connects us to the power of God into salvation. Listen, you can have all the faith in the world, like 1 Corinthians 13 says, but if it's not in the gospel, it's useless. It's powerless. Let me illustrate this for a moment. Two men. Two men are each trying to cross a bridge. The first man, he's full of confidence. Again, all the confidence and trust and faith in the world. He doesn't doubt for a moment, no hesitation. He boldly and confidently takes steps to cross the bridge. The problem is that that bridge is faulty. The material, it's no good. And he dies. He falls and he dies, right? The second man, he approaches it trembling. He approaches it slowly, taking one step, then another step, and another step. He doesn't have as much faith. So, The difference is is not in the amount of faith, but all the faith that he did have. His whole body, it wasn't like halfway here, halfway there. His whole body was on that bridge, and eventually he crossed that bridge. Why? Because that material was not faulty. That material was solid ground. Jesus Christ is the solid rock. It wasn't because of his faith being so Great, but it was because all the faith that he did have was on the solid 
rock. Trusting in Jesus Christ alone. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Verse 17. For in it, that's in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Righteousness. Let's consider righteousness. That's a huge element to the gospel. John 16, 8. This is what Jesus says. The Spirit is coming into the world to convict the sin, righteousness, and judgment. The gospel that we preach and proclaim better have some of this, of what Jesus is saying, the Spirit is coming in to do, the ministry of the Spirit. You better have sin, righteousness, judgment, or it's not the gospel. Joe Olstein, on the other hand, he boasts with a smile. He brags that he doesn't talk about sin, righteousness, and judgment. He doesn't talk about hell. He doesn't talk about repentance. Joe Olstein and anyone and everyone else proclaiming that message should be ashamed. They should be utterly ashamed because that is the power of man unto salvation. There's no power in that message. Righteousness, let's consider righteousness. We don't have any inherent righteousness. Isaiah 6 tells us clearly, I'm sorry, 64, 6. Our righteous deeds are as a polluted Garment. It's like taking the worst of the worst garbage that we can find and muster up within us and shoving in, shoving, shoving, shoving it, sorry, in the face of God and saying, here is my righteousness. Philippians 3 9. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. We need, utterly, desperately need his righteousness. Anyone and everyone who experiences the power of God into salvation is a possessor of not partial, faulty, to, to something uh, uh, or, or down, any to perfect righteousness it is completely perfect righteousness no flaw in his righteousness we are possessors of perfect righteousness and we need to measure up to his standard we are not the standard he is perfectly righteous we have to measure up to his perfection and we obtain his perfection through faith in Christ, possessing his perfect righteousness. Do you trust in the power of man unto salvation? Or do you trust in the power of God unto salvation? Where's your confidence? Where's your trust? My sixth and last point. What is the duration of this power? How long does it last? Do you believe in Christ? You're justified. There's the power of God, and then poof, it's gone. Just as quickly as it came, it left. Is that how it goes, or how, is that how it is? Well, just look at the next part of verse 17. It says they're revealed from faith for faith. Well, what does that mean? It means this, the Christian does not only experience the power of God into salvation in justification, meaning the moment that you believe and then it's gone. No, the Christian has to continue 
in the power of God unto salvation. From faith for faith, as John MacArthur would say, from faith to faith to faith to faith, meaning continual. This is sanctification. And the last part, I believe, proves what I'm saying here. It says there, as it is written, the righteous shall live, walk by faith. Galatians 3, 2, and 3. Listen to this. Paul says, did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, justification, believing in Christ, that moment at the beginning initially, are you now being perfected by the flesh? See that? See the, see the difference there? Through the Spirit's power, what Paul is telling us is that we are saved through the Spirit's power from the beginning to the end. We are utterly dependent on His power to finish the race from start to finish, from faith to faith. We are confident. We are fully persuaded in His power to save us. Why? Because Paul says, I am not ashamed. And all of us should be able to stand with him and say, for I am not ashamed. We are not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now again, while this gospel appears to the natural eye, those who are not regenerated, those who do not indu- are not indwelt by the Spirit of God, it appears weaker than any junk-looking car. Despite that, in it, we find the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. So, in light of this, let's proclaim this message. Let's preach this message unapologetically, bold, fearlessly, with full confidence, not shrinking back, not compromising this gospel, but being unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you for this truth. Thank you for revealing to us, Lord, that you have the power to save. You have the power to change. You have the power to heal heaven. Lord, you have the power where our confidence cannot be in ourselves, in man, and what we can dream up and, 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 and try to come up with and our resources, Lord. Help us to have all our reliance and confidence in you. In the name of your Son, amen.